So what's a place you've already been in life that you'd like to go back to? I think we all have those places. And sometimes you do get to go back, but not always. Place I'm not sure I'll get back to is uh, a lake called Lake uh, Gabby Michigami. Gabby Michigami, it's one of the big lakes in the boundary waters of Minnesota near the Canadian border uh, where we go with our senior high kids uh, every three years on canoe trips. I've been to Lake Gabby, as it's called, only one time. I'd love to go back. Let me tell you a little bit about it, and all of this is eventually getting us to today's gospel lesson. So the one time I've been there was on the 2013 Boundary Waters trip, which was a very stormy trip. But we had two days where we could, uh, we had some sunshine and could do some out trips. One day we went to a waterfall with kind of a natural whirlpool and are paddling to and from that as a day trip. It was sunny and calm and it was gorgeous. Then there was a day where we'd heard of uh, Gabby, uh, Gabby Michigami, and we thought, well, let's go there. Uh, it was a beautiful sunny day. Uh, notice I'm making no comment on wind conditions, however. So one of the reasons to go to Gabby is it's the deepest lake uh, in the Boundary Waters. Uh, Big Sag is deeper, but the deep part of that particular lake is in the Canadian waters. So of fully U.S. waters, the deepest of the lakes is, is Gabby. And it's not easy to get to. You have to paddle through several other big lakes before you get to it, which means you need pretty good wind conditions for at least a day, maybe a day and a half to actually get there. But when you do, it's pristine wilderness and good fishing on this really big lake. So we got, uh, we got onto the lake and we had a place where we wanted to eat lunch, a campsite on the opposite shore. And it was fairly breezy, but the breeze was behind us, so we paddled straight across that big lake. Took us probably over an hour with the wind behind us to get to where we were going. When we got there, maybe the nicest campsite I've ever seen up there. There are many beautiful sites, but what was cool about this one was there was an island in front of us that you could climb a little short cliff and jump off of into those deep waters, so that was, was fun to swim. And then the campsite itself was on the shore, looking out at this island. Part of it was elevated, so you had this expanse of the whole lake. Many of the campsites in the Boundary Waters are kind of forged out of the forest, so there's not a lot of room to work with. There was plenty of room on this one. And then if you walked down, you could get to a second place where you would camp that overlooked just this gorgeous meadow, which is also a very rare thing in this very wooded area. But you had this huge grassland with blueberries and wildflowers. It was just spectacular. And so we took our time, we swam, we ate lunch. But as we did, we noticed the wind kept picking up and picking up. And by the time we were ready to head back, uh, there were big white caps and they were coming right at us. And, and remember, it's a day trip, so we don't have our gear with us. And so those canoes, when they're not loaded, they are like corks on those waves. And the other challenge facing us was we, we, knew, we knew we weren't going to paddle straight across. Uh, so that means we were going to have to take the shoreline. The, the shortest route would have been to take the northern third of the lake and then the northern third of the lake to get straight across. Uh, but that whole way, practically, or two-thirds of that way, we would have been going like right into the teeth of the, of the gale. And, and so we had to go two-thirds the length of the lake south around the base of the lake and then two-thirds of the way north to get to the portage we wanted to leave by. By this time, it was a grizzled group, and we knew what we were up against, and we went for it, and we made it, but it was a lot of paddling. 
and yet it's a place I'd go back to in a second. What a beautiful spot. Where would, where would you go back to if you could in life? Now, that story actually leads us into today's gospel lesson. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walks on water, is about the same surface area as what? Lake Winnebago. We've talked about that often here. So think Lake Winnebago, you've got Sea of Galilee. But the average depth of Lake Winnebago is 21 feet. What did I say uh, Gabby's depth was? 209 feet. You get a lot bigger waves on that. Uh, sea of Galilee, uh, deepest point on that lake is about 166 feet. So that is a deep body of water as well. Plus, it's in a large bowl. And so when you get big winds blowing down into that bowl, you not only get you know, the, the wind action, you get the swirl action. So I would imagine you get some really difficult paddling conditions on the Sea of Galilee. This sets up today's gospel lesson. Think about the context of today's gospel lesson because it's so intense. It's really so very intense. Uh, we're in chapter 14 of Matthew's gospel. We read from it last week, the feeding of the 5,000. But the story of the feeding of the 5,000 begins with the announcement that Jesus and his disciples learn that John the Baptist has been beheaded by Herod at which point Matthew tells us that Jesus withdraws. And the word withdraw can also mean Jesus retreats. And it's not like, oh, Jesus goes on a religious retreat. It's the military term. Jesus retreats. He falls backwards. He's, in a sense, in the disarray of an army's retreat. Now, when you think about that, it's, it's not because Herod had done something cruel. Herod was an expert in that. It's not because John the Baptist's ministry ended with his death. I think everyone knew that John was enough of kind of a wild man that, that in that world he would probably meet some sort of wild ending. So that's probably not what caused Jesus' retreat. And I don't think it's because Jesus suddenly was afraid for his own life because I think Jesus went through his entire ministry with some awareness of the forces that he was up against. So I don't think it was because of fear that, that Jesus retreats or because of surprise. Why would he have retreated? Um, it's because he was a human being. And, and even though he and, and John the Baptist were kind of personality polar opposites, they'd known each other their whole lives. They were relatives. Their ministries were intertwined with each other. At some level, they, they were two peas in a pod. And, and to, to lose someone like that so violently and so suddenly, of course, it, it took the breath out of Jesus, and he retreated. But the crowds followed him, and, and Jesus, as always, saw them and, and was merciful, and he healed them, and he taught with them, and he burned probably 10,000 calories that day, engaging all of those people. And then at the end, when they have nothing to eat, the disciples say, do something, Jesus, as if Jesus hadn't been doing something all day. And Jesus needs a little help, and he says, you do something. And, and he tries to hold them accountable. And they do come up with what? Five loaves, two fishes. And Jesus blesses the sharing, and maybe that created more sharing. And, and suddenly there's more than enough, way more than enough. And so after all of that, after that amazing, incredibly intense day, Jesus withdrew to do some praying. And that's today's gospel lesson. And the disciples then leave him, which seems a little strange, but makes a lot of sense. I mean, people in that world were pretty used to being able to fend for themselves, sleep outside. 
That's what Jesus is going to do as far as the disciples are concerned. They're going to paddle someplace else on the lake, pick up provisions, come back for Jesus in the morning, all of which makes some sense. But what happens to them is that they paddle out into these heavy seas. And, and when we were doing it on, on, on Gabby, uh, our situation was, you know, the wind was actually blowing us into the shore, and so we always had to be kind of uh, working our way outward uh, as we made that long journey back. But in this case, the, the swirling winds were such that it, it blew the disciples further and further out into the lake. And there's nothing to suggest that they're actually afraid in this situation. It doesn't say that. They'd probably been in situ similar situations. But... It had been an incredibly long and intense day. Undoubtedly, they are exhausted and they are just wearing down. And then all of a sudden, they see this figure approaching them across the waters. Is it a ghost? What is it? Are we going crazy? Are we crazy from exhaustion? And then they recognize that maybe it's Jesus he calls out to them, at which point Peter does what Peter does Peter does a Peter thing. He says, Lord, if, if it's you, call me to come to you, and I'll come to you on the waves. Now, that's how it struck me as kind of a, a, a like, why did he do that, of all things? I mean, uh, he would have known how hard it is to get out of a boat in big waves like that without making the boat, like, rock even more. And, and, and people don't walk on water. Why wasn't his instinctive reaction to yell back to Jesus, come over here, Jesus, you can climb in the boat. You'll be fine. I have no idea why he stepped out onto the waves. But it's interesting, isn't it? He was aiming towards Jesus. He was drawing to be closer to Jesus. He wanted to be more like Jesus. And those aren't bad instincts, are they? Those are pretty darn good instincts. I, I think when I think of all the mistakes Peter makes in the, in the Gospels, along with some of the things that he does well, uh, the only time he's like totally off course is when he denies Jesus on that last night. But he weeps bitterly after that. He, he recognizes what a profound, not just mistake, but how out of character that was for, for him. And, and the rest of the time he makes mistakes, but it's, he's, always, he's always aiming towards Jesus. He's drawing to be closer to Jesus. He, he wants to be more like Jesus. Those are great instincts to have. Are those your instincts? Uh, every day, I think all of us should aim ourselves at Jesus' ways and teachings. We should try and draw closer to him, certainly not push him away. And we should literally try to be like Jesus. So a couple things occur to me that, that maybe one of these will, will help you in the life of faith for the week to come. So uh, item number one is just say no to Jacob. This is kind of where the call to worship was today. Uh, the idea that sometimes we can learn really important faith lessons by observing others and then not making the same mistakes they made. Uh, virtually everything J Jacob does in the story about Jacob, which is chapter after chapter after chapter in the book of Genesis, uh, is a mistake. He, he treats his most intimate relationships so cruelly and with such, such uh, self-interest and, and hurt to so many other people, including his mother, his father, his twin brother, his wives, his children. And yet God works something good through all of that. Uh, I often think back in ministry that uh, at least two of kind of my mentors, I learned a ton of ministry about. Uh, but I learned it in the negative, like I watched him and I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Hopefully you've benefited every once in a while from stuff like that. Um, 
but, but it's a legitimate and important way that we learn the life of faith, to watch sometimes the mistakes others make and to realize that ah, that's not the way we want to do it. Just say no to Jacob. Lesson number one for this week. Lesson number two, um, uh, I have to check my cheat sheet on this one a little bit because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was in a conversation recently with, um, uh, with someone who, it was a secular setting, but they knew I was a pastor. So um, they were very excited about their church, which is cool. And he was telling me all about this, this religious leader at this church who, like, would talk for over an hour with all sorts of information uh, about the Bible. That, like, this was just like the best thing ever. And usually, you know, I'm happy to hear about that from somebody, but he just kind of kept going on and on about how much information uh, this pastor passed on to them. Um, and finally, at some point, when he took a deep breath, I kind of tossed into them, tossed into the conversation, wow, that's really interesting, because like when Jesus taught, um, you know, he just like told stories and parables. Now, I must admit that was a little bit of tweak but I was actually kind of curious. I'm curious about this a lot in that there's a big part of Christianity nowadays that's into like these long uh, studies, these long sermons, like information, 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 tons of little details about like just one verse of the Bible. And I'm curious about that because Jesus didn't do that in his ministry. Like he didn't do that at all. Um, he, he talked in large swaths about the, about the kingdom of heaven and, and made up these stories, these parables, these sayings uh, that, that captured imagination and didn't teach uh, cognitive, detailed information, but, but captured our awareness of who we are, who we belong to, and what our responsibilities are as people of faith. Uh, he was a great storyteller. He was not a bullet pointer. So as tempting as it is sometimes to want to learn the faith in your head, um, don't go down that road. It's, it's learned by hearing people's stories, telling your own, and being engaged in the life of faith, which gets us then to uh, the third thing. Verses, verses, verses. Ten verses. V-E-R-S-E-S. -E -S, verses, F-E-R-S-U-S. -E uh, a thousand verses, F-E-R-S-E-S. -E Here's what I'm thinking of. Um, Sometimes people will read today's gospel lesson and they will really focus in on the fact that Jesus withdrew for a time of prayer. And, and so here's another thing people really emphasize in the life of faith. In addition to learning lots of information, there's the approach of lots of prayer, lots of meditation, lots of quiet time, lots of contemplation. There's merit to information. There's also merit to contemplation. But the number of verses in the gospels where Jesus is away and praying contemplative? I didn't count, but it's maybe like 10 verses. The number of verses where Jesus is teaching and debating and healing and reaching out to the lepers and acknowledging the people that everybody else pushed away and eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors and suffering and dying and rising, that's like a thousand verses. <laughs> In other words, Jesus is about doing the faith, not so much about reflecting on it or learning about it. How do you do the faith? There, the cool thing about that is there are as many ways to do the faith as there are people out there to encounter. Maybe it's encountering somebody who's uh, had to seek out a 12-step program and they're still a part of it and what that means for their life. Maybe it's somebody who you've noticed 
doesn't just uh, include people, that person is great at inviting people, and that person, even if the people they invite are different or a little scary or a little um, off in some way, whatever that might be, authentically makes them feel invited and welcome and therefore safe and important. Somebody like that, you, you can never learn enough from. Maybe you learn from somebody who, who says, yeah, we, we live in an amazing culture and kind of a meritocracy. But, but it doesn't apply to all people. Uh, some people or peoples have had a series of experiences in this culture which, which put them so far behind that the idea of somehow catching up is, 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 is literally uh, unrealistic. Uh, maybe the metaphor is overused, but I think it's really true that, you know, it's like being in a relay race and you're starting twice as far back as somebody else. And you actually catch them, but then you drop the baton in the baton toss. And somebody says, well, you should have just worked harder. To which the person says, hey, I've worked really hard just to catch up. Um, I mean, all this stuff goes on all the time in our world. Every person we encounter has a story. Um, being able to listen, to share your own, and then to find common ground, man, that is, that is the life of faith. That is the life of faith. It's how we, gee, it's how we aim at Jesus, draw closer to Jesus. It's how we learn to be more like Jesus. In other words, aim, draw, be, is what we learned this week from the Apostle Peter. The cool thing about Peter is, is, just think back to that, that after that long, amazing, exhausting day, he was in the boat that night in all of those heavy waves, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't just sitting there reading the map. He was probably rolling, and he knew where they, where they were, and he knew what they were up against. And all of a sudden, he saw Jesus coming towards him. And maybe everybody else was alarmed, but Peter's instincts were right. Hey, Jesus, just give me the word, and I'm headed towards you. He aimed toward Jesus. He wanted to draw near towards Jesus. He wanted to be like Jesus. We'll still make mistakes, people of God, but if that's where we're directed in life, amazing, good things will happen. And who knows, every once in a while you'll get back to a very special spot in life, and you'll see it in a totally different light, a light of one who blessed you and those that you met along the path.